weird, time-sensitive, or just not long enough for a full episode, this is bonus content. Alright guys, welcome to bonus content. Bonus content, for those of you who are new to the podcast, is basically when, either because of time constraints, or we needed to talk about something immediately outside of the normal schedule, or in this case, we just released episode 100, and that takes a lot out of people. Just forget the normal format and just have an episode where we keep the schedule rolling but don't really care about the normal stuff. So that's what this one's going to be. And I am actually fortunate to have a couple guys with me this time. Uh, One is going to be the new, we have now officially christened it, Luke has officially signed off, and we now have Jeff Romo, who is our new co-pilot of Game Store Profits. Jeff, say hi. (laughs) Hello, everybody. I'm doubting the interwebs now. I'm going <laughs> live. See, I, you know, I, we talked about this before about doing some kind of weird accent. I just don't think it's going to work. I'm just going to yeah, do a normal voice. I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend it. Well, you wouldn't recommend it, would you, lad? <laughs> don't do that. Don't get me sporting the awful dwarven brogue that I can Yay. never keep keep straight through an entire game. <laughs> No, I'm totally stoked to be here, super excited to be a part of this. And in front of the, I mean, we've been doing the Inroads Plays thing, yeah, but I mean, I'm really happy to be a more regular part of this. Uh, it's been great being behind the scenes and doing that thing, but Mr. Perna, you've you've, you've <laughs> prompted me to get a little bit more in front of the scenes. Yeah, I have. Yeah. And not only do we have Jeff with us, but we also brought in another friend of mine who is super into gaming in his own right, Whereas we're trying to be gaming missionaries, we're in the process of doing this. I actually know somebody who is, and that's Jacob Toman. Jacob, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. It's uh, it's great to be here. Did did Mike by chance motivate you with a pitchfork to get like out from behind <laughs> the scenes? Like, was that? Well, I didn't. I didn't want to show you guys this on camera. There's this wound. I, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's say let's say he critted. He critted on. He that critted. One. That's good. It's oh, a it's I, a magic crit. I critted, I critted with a very well-placed email is what I critted with. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's awesome to be able to join you guys today, and I'm just excited to be here to chat about games and uh, whatever else we're chatting about tonight. I'm just super pumped. Yeah, we, you missed it. Before we even recorded, we were all talking about Star Wars and Age of Ultron because all of us have well, well-documented geek cards, and they are, they are fully punched and ready to go. <laughs> but we're we're not gonna we're not talking about that tonight. We could go on forever on that, and the internet is just a buzz with that stuff. So you don't need any more voices doing that. Are you uh, sure? Well, yes, <laughs> trust sure? trust me. I'm very okay. sure because wow, the opinions are crazy. What what we are here to talk about is games, obviously, and this is gonna be a night for some interesting perspective because I have. It's funny because so many people look at me and they're like, Mike, you play everything, and I I try to. I do board games, I do role-playing games, and though I don't do it nearly as much as I did when I was younger, I play video games. But as the definition of gamer expands in the popular culture, especially with with the stuff like Geek and Sundry's doing and stuff like that to put board gaming out in the, the, the forefront, you realize that certain gaming experiences that were you know, isolated to their little camp, suddenly is like, okay, this this board gaming thing is kind of a big deal, and we should probably do something about this. We should probably be a part of this. Yeah. And in this instance, 
Romo, your experience is almost entirely in role-playing games. And yeah. like I said, Jacob, your, your purview, as it were, is video games. And both of you guys had fairly recently talked to me about the increase of board gaming in your lives. So, Jacob, let's talk about you because you've had a little bit more into it, whereas Jeff is literally just starting to get into board gaming. Kind of what has been your experience coming from the the video game world and kind of trying to get into the board gaming scene? Yeah, that's... Well, first off, it's like it's a whole other animal. A lot of the times in missions we talk about different language groups and different people groups, and when kind of when defining who gamers are, it, it the challenge really exists when we start talking about gamers, especially on a on a large global level. Depending on whose numbers you're using, there's 180 million gamers here in the United States. There's 200 million gamers in China. There's 1.4 billion gamers worldwide. Okay, great. That's that's great. These are huge numbers. This is a big demographic. But what are these people actually doing? Right? There's not 1.4 billion people playing Farmville. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. There's not half of that number even playing any one genre. Right. And there's not even one quarter of that number um, that's a fan of even one particular format or platform, be that board gaming, video gaming, face-to-face gaming, mobile gaming. There's there's such a wide gambit uh, or such a wide spectrum along the gambit, really, of what people enjoy to do in their free time. Uh, so for me, coming at it from a video gaming perspective, uh, I first started playing board games for ministry-related purposes because we moved here to St. Louis and found out uh, after seminary that there's a, a massive... Uh, board gaming convention called Geekway to the West, which what what awesome branding uh, on the part of Geekway right here in St. Louis where the, the Gateway Arch, of course, is central to all the branding here in St. Louis. And learning about that event uh, last year and then attending it uh, really opened up my eyes that, that board gamers are a specific people group in and of themselves um, with inside the larger culture of gamers. So even when we're talking about who gamers are and how you get to know gamers and what gamers are thinking and what gamers enjoy and what their values are, it's really tough to do that talking about 1.4 billion people on hmm. the planet. So we got to get more specific. And th- for me, um, you know, that was the Lord opening up my eyes to say, hey, there's, there are people groups in and among this large people group. And so getting to know board gamers has been interesting and challenge, and the dynamics are totally different coming over from video game. Just one really practical way is typically when you're interacting with somebody via video game, you're either talking to them via text by typing into a chat box, or you're doing something similar to what we do or to what our kids do or to grandkids. What grandkids do is you Skype or you're talking to someone, but it's through a medium. It's through a phone. It's through a voice over the internet program. It's through something like that. There's a medium negotiating your communication. Whereas when you're playing a board game with somebody, you're just like, hey, um, uh, can you can you pass me a piece of pizza? Yes. All right. Well, Romo, you're coming at this from a huge pool of experience when it comes to role-playing games, which, right. we, have, which we have blatantly exploited. 
But, Exploitation uh, in the ministry. There's already going to be a schism. This is just crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, just, just, just wait till the till the day that Inroads Ministries is split over which edition is the proper edition. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so kind of give a little bit that now coming into board games, you haven't really dove in yet, right? You're still in the process of figuring out where board gaming fits into things, right? Yeah, very much so. I, uh, I mean, my, my board game experience has been pretty limited. Uh, let's see here. I can count them on one hand, and they will go one, two, three. Three games that, I, uh, <laughs> that I've uh, partook of in my past, and it's been a while. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a time period in my, my gaming group. Um, we... When I first came into when I first came to Christ and I gave my life to Him, I realized I, I for some reason I decided I wasn't going to game anymore. So I kind of put RPGs and all that stuff away. But then when I started getting together with my friends again, um, we started picking up on different things. Like we started doing board games, and there was three that we worked with. One was Settlers of Catan, um, which spawned many a fight. Uh, because in this one, we were able to bring our, our, our significant others and we you know had them around the table, which was fun up until the point where resource crises started to arise. And then you're like, you can't let him move that way. Well, I'm trying to use my friend. I'm going to go, no, no, you don't let him. Anyway, you guys know the stories. But uh, Political game, dynamics in Settlers of Good Tan? No, <laughs> no. Insanity, right? right? I mean, it's just crazy. And so uh, the other game I have experience with, and this is the one that I actually really love, um, is Axis and Allies. So It's a classic. Yeah, it's a classic, right? I mean, it was out when I was six years old, and, you know, well, anyway, it's going to start dating me. Anyway, um, but when we started playing, it was up to the point where we would have the whole thing laid out, and we would play over, like, separate weekends. So, cause, and the board would have to stay, and we'd leave it at one person's house, and we would just come back in, and we'd start, you know, marshalling our forces and doing everything there. Um, but um, it, the the last game that I played before I kind of put board games aside was Arkham Horror. So that one was a lot of fun because a couple of my buddies were big fans um, of of uh, Cthulhu and everything that Lovecraft did. Um, likewise, myself. It was actually because of this game I got into it even more and started reading things outside of like the, some of the shorter stories. I started reading the larger, larger novellas and such. But um, it, it was about that time that uh, my buddy, uh, his name was Mike as well, but uh, obviously a different Mike. Um, he passed away uh, about the time we were playing board games, and that just, we just kind of switched gears. That's when we went back to role playing games. It was kind of like going back to the original thing that brought us together and that's just kind of where we were stuck for a while but in any case coming to the coming back to the hobby is going to be really strange just because I'm so used to like I I've I've I put out an article up recently some of like three people have probably read it so far but it's about player players taking control of narrative and just the importance of narrative in an RPG and so I've really gotten away from meeples as they're called right mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten away from tokens. Yeah, I've gotten away from tokens. I've gotten away from the maps and stuff to like more of that whole the, the whole what's that catchphrase? Theater of the mind. Theater of the mind. Yeah. So coming back to a board game, it's going to be interesting because I know there's a lot of games out there that have awesome narrative. I've heard you and Luke talk about it, Mike, about several of these games. So I'll probably be hunting for those first and then work my way back towards things like Axis and Allies and such. So, yeah. 
There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's funny to me because we always talk, you know, in, in the hobby we talk about gateway games, the games that you, you know, try to put in front of people to get them to like board games. And mm-hmm. normally they're like like 15-minute to like maybe 45-minute little games that are designed to have real quick, you know, get them, get them in, get them having fun, and then get them to the next game kind of things. Now, you just re- referenced Axis and Allies. <laughs> That's not I, a gateway. That's not a gateway game. I've seen Axis and Allies take days to play out. Yeah. We and, had a running game for about a month because we got the other ones a week, so yeah. And Arkham Horror, which takes anywhere from four to eight hours yeah. to complete. Yeah. And now and then because of my, my wonderful acts of Facebook stalking. <laughs> I know, Jacob, explain to me this game that I've seen on your feed a bunch of times. It's It looks like this epic struggle of the Reformation, and I've never seen this game in my life, and I'm curious about what it is. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, so first off, the game's called Here I Stand. Uh, so of course it is. <laughs> you know, if anybody wants to go Google that. Um, I, I'm Googling I, it right now. You know, it's, it's made by GMT Games, and they are known, I guess, I've, I've learned this, they are known for uh, breaking that rule that I mentioned in our, our pre-discussion discussion that they're, they're known for having a rule book that takes longer to read than it does to actually learn and play the game. Right. Um, so when someone first sent me the PDF of 45 pages worth of rules for uh, Here I Stand, I was, I, to say I was overwhelmed would be an understatement. Um, yeah. Now, one of, one of our good friends here... Um, and uh, an advisory council members, uh, Marcus here in St. Louis, who's a big reason why we're involved in board gaming. Um, he he warned me. He said, "If you get into grand strategy war games, mm. they will consume your life." Yeah. Uh, I used to think a year ago when we first went to Geekway, I, I sat down and played a game of Pathfinder, and that took about an hour and a half for us to play uh, Pathfinder, the adventure card game, not Pathfinder, the tabletop. Right. Uh, that took us about an hour and a half to play, and I thought, man, that's kind of a long game. Uh, and so <laughs> a year <That's> later, <laughs> uh, our first session of Here I Stand went over three weekends. It's it's similar to, to Jeff to what you're describing with Axis and Allies. It, it went over three weekends. They left it set up at the host player's house in his basement. Yeah. Uh, and we were there for eight hours, three separate Saturdays. Uh, and still didn't finish. We just called it. I said, look, guys, I've, I've learned enough. I'd like to restart and go back to turn one 22 hours ago and play again. Uh, but, Jacob, we're already on turn three. We can't get back that far. <laughs> That's I mean, right. Come on, right? That's right. I was, I was being very unreasonable. That's right. Yeah. So, so basically, the, the, the main mechanics of the deck, or not the main mechanics of the deck, the, the main mechanics of the game are that it is a deck-themed um, historical simulation. Right. All right. So thinking along the lines of Axis and Allies, let's use a, a game that we're all familiar with here. Axis and Allies, you cannot, as the Russians, make a deal with the Germans. Hey, you know what? Let's just declare peace and let's both gang up on Britain. You can't right. do that. Now, in between each round, in Here I Stand, you can do those sorts of things. Uh-huh. You can literally change the state of the game to where your units cannot actually attack each other. So if you do want to backstab somebody during a turn, you can't do that. And the whole game is themed around these decks of cards that actually are named after events and key people 
uh, during the period of the Reformation. So uh, one of them is Magellan, another one is uh, Copernicus, another uh, one of the leaders that you can play for the Protestants is Martin Luther, another for the for the Ottomans is uh, Suleiman the Great. I mean, it's as a as a historical simulation game. I'm not sure there's one out there that I've played that's better. Granted, I've only been been playing these things for about a year now uh, as, yeah. as tabletops, but it's it's fantastic. It's the level of depth that I would look for in a video game like Crusader Kings or like Europa or like Civilization, and it takes all of the complexity that the computer typically would do for you, and it says, hey, you all keep track of this via the board. Yeah. Whew, that tickles. That tickles the. Uh, that tickles the the history fancy in my mind. I, oh, I totally dig stuff like that. If you want to have a debate between a Catholic, uh, a, a Catholic debater, and yeah. a Protestant reformer, you know, if you want to see whether your Zwingli can go up against <laughs> their their Pope, oh uh, who's going to get burned at the stake or who's going to get excommunicated? This is the game for you. Wow. That's crazy. I, I, have, I literally tweeted out a picture um, when John Calvin was burned at the stake. I mean, I had I had to tweet that out. That was it was too big of an event not to, you know. <laughs> and we'd like to apologize right now to all our Calvinists, all our Calvinists. Um, <laughs> just right. to make sure that uh, we right. know that Game Store Profits is officially a non-denominational function <laughs> at Inroad Ministries, and we would like to disclaim anything that Jacob Tone just said. That's right. That's See, right. You're, you're better at the disclaimer than I, ha- than I am, and I've been doing this podcast for four years. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's because I've spent 40 years disclaiming myself, sir. There you go. That's why. No, that you know what you mentioned GNT games, man. That's one of the games I'm looking at is Fire in the Lake, uh, the Vietnam insurgency game. It looks just insane, but I'm totally tempted. So yeah, well, let's 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 kind of break that out then. Let's kind of look into uh, as guys who haven't been in uh, like I I get people all the time saying that that I hear about games that they haven't even dreamed of yet. It's because. Mm-hmm. Because I listen to the Dice Tower, I hit all the different you know various websites. I'm on Board Game Geek. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I find myself pulling from all these news sources. But yeah. as you guys are kind of on the the outside of that, is there anything that you've heard of? Uh, we heard you know, the one that you just mentioned, Jeff. But is there any other games that you've heard of out there in the atmosphere that you're like, man, I haven't played that yet? But I really want to. <laughs> I know, Jacob. You want to go first, or? Uh... Um, so, I would say there are, there were just a couple of games um, for me. I've gotten to play a little bit of Star Wars Imperial Assault, which is Star Wars themed Descent. I mean, yeah. that's essentially what it is. Uh, and I haven't gotten to play Descent, and I've seen some debates over on Board Game Geek um, between fans of both games. So I'd like to play Descent. Uh, just to have another uh, perspective on the genre, um, but really, what I'm I'm super looking forward to, uh, at least for Geekway, which is next weekend here in St. Louis, so I'm I'm really getting stoked up and excited, uh, is for all the social deduction stuff that I'll get to play with other gamers that like social deduction. Mm. Uh, it's one thing to play social deduction, Avalon, Resistance, One Night Werewolf, um, uh, Bloodbound. These these sorts of social deductiony kind of games, two rooms and a boom. Um, oh, I can't the, wait for my copy to show up. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, well, would you would you consider like 
uh, Dead of Winter a social deduction game? Yeah, just I, because you're trying to find the you know the baddie. Because <laughs> you're trying yeah, to find I mean, the baddie. I, I would almost put, and, and I'm not sure quite how to categorize it, but I would put Dead of Winter like in the same bucket as Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Um, where it's a I massive... did not know there was a game of Battlestar Galactica. Oh, oh yeah, baby. Oh, the worlds were about to open for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's mind blowing. <laughs> think of it. Think of it like Arkham, right, Jeff? You said right. you played Arkham before, so think of it like mm-hmm. Arkham. Um, streamline it a little bit. So there's also a game um, like Arkham that's called Eldritch, and it's yeah. it's basically you know mm-hmm. streamlined Arkham to where instead of sitting down for eight hours, you can sit down and do the whole thing in three. Um, and and so think of it like that, where it's a co-op. You're all going in this very heavily themed game. Mm-hmm. But while while there is a co-op, there's also the potential for this trader. So there's a social deduction aspect to it. But I wouldn't yeah. say that's the primary driving force of the game. The primary driving force of the game is so your interaction uh, with your personal goals and with the group's goals. Uh, similarly to Shadows Over Camelot, where it's like, hey, we all need to take this thing out. And if one of us happens to be a jerk, well, we're probably going to end up getting stabbed in the back, and then we need to shoot him in the face. <laughs> right, 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 right. Okay. See, it's, and the reason I ask that question is that, uh, is again, the volume of knowledge that you guys have in such a fashion that it's quantifiable. It's categ- you can categorize it, you know, yeah. like your social games or your, you know, your uh, deck building games or, you know, whatever terminology is out there. So I've actually been spending some time trying to learn the terminology as well as picking out a few games to jump into. Yeah, so- gamer, gamer language, like, uh, I'll, I'll just say this just really quickly. This is another... Big distinctive, at least at least for me coming in and learning. I mean, different people groups, right, have different languages, and sure. and even in gaming, different subgroups have different languages. And and the I think the the best way that we've come up with to say it so far over the last two years is really that there's different gaming dialects. Mm-hmm. So yeah. everyone's a gamer, right? We all understand what it means to get ganked, or we all understand what it means. Um, to backstab someone, or we all kind of have an idea um, of what it may mean to be a deck-building game versus a game in which you build a deck. Right. So we, we're all familiar with that kind of lingo, but right. different subgroups and different hobbies have these different nuanced um, aspects of language that, as you said, like it, it takes a long time and it takes a level of expertise like what Mike has to learn this mm-hmm. stuff and be able to converse with people. What's really yeah. fun when it, is when you break it down to the next level because, like, let's just say, for instance, I was talking uh, somebody that I know just picked up Netrunner for the very first time. Mm. Netrunner has its own little little dialect. And then I go, oh, you could play Doomtown. And I'm like, Doomtown has its own little dialect. Yeah. And if we go back in the day when I was a kid, I, I had to unlearn a bunch of the terms I used for Magic the Gathering because yeah. I'm not playing Magic anymore, but I still say, "Oh, you tap that." It's not. It's not the same term when you're playing right. in a different game. Right. So yeah, I can definitely, I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. And actually, you hit. I mean, well, actually, Jacob, I don't know if you were done kind of picking out some of the games you're looking forward to. Yeah. Those. Uh, those are. Those are really. Like I said, those couple of social deductiony kind of. Mm-hmm. Kind of games. I'm. I'm really excited to go and play with people who enjoy playing them because uh, they're great as entry-level games. They're great to bring people in, but it's a whole other ball game when you get together 12 people mm-hmm. that have 100 plays or more on their BGG account 
playing Resistance than when you get together ten people and only two of them have like fifteen games. It's just a totally different game. Right. Right. Yeah, nomenclature, dialect, <laughs> all that. Denominations, if you will. Yeah. yeah. The, parlance, the parlance of our ministry, right? Yeah. Um, no, you mentioned Doomtown, Perna. I'm looking at you, man. That's that's kind of what I was thinking of as one thing to get into. Such a I good do game. love I do love me a western. I do love me a western. And it it's it brings up you know your whole thing about you know how do you categorize these things? Doomtown lives in its own little world between categories because mm-hmm. the way Doomtown plays it is it's it's a deck construction game. You've you. I, I just I just picked up an expansion when I had I had to get a prize to give away this event I'm doing in, the, in uh, this next weekend, so I couldn't help myself for an extra like ten fifteen dollars I picked up you know uh, an expansion to Doomtown which is called Faith and Fear which I'm super uh-huh. excited about. I'm already liking it. But it, so it's a deck construction game. You build your deck. There are four different factions. You have multiple cards that you can put into these factions to make your deck. Uh, your deck is 52 cards, like a normal playing card deck, so you're having to build it so that you have the right poker hands possible as well as the abilities on the cards. So there's that aspect, and you go, okay, it's a it's a living card game. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, that is a term that has been established. It's a living card game, right? And you go, yes, yeah. but it's also an area control game. Oh, come on. They're like, what? <laughs> and you go... You actually have to position, once you play a card, once you play, they're called dudes, once you play one of your dudes, you have to move <laughs> them across the board to make sure they have the, they, they own the town, they control the town. And so yeah. you have that aspect. And then you're like, oh, okay, it's, it's a living card game with area control. I go, yes, and it's also city building or engine building. And you're like, what? I go, yeah, because not only are you trying to, to control parts of town, you're building what's in town to give you certain abilities and give you certain influences to let you do certain things. And you're like, oh, for, for crying out loud, man, how do you qualify this thing? <laughs> and, uh, and even then, there's disagreements. Like the fact that I just said that there's an, a, an engine building level of Doomtown, there's going to be somebody who listens to us and go, I don't see how you see that in this game. Because there's such, we're getting to a point like, it's almost like with music. Like back in the day, there were like three genres of music, mm. and it was easy to qualify things. Right. Then you started getting more and more musicians and bands out there, and you go, wait, you don't fit into this category. So they made a new right. category. And then so many times you do that, after a while, you're like, well, it, I, can't even, I can't even put a name to this. And that, I think that's kind of what's happening with games. So yeah. any term, any term you're learning right now, hold loosely because <laughs> they're all going to apply differently in the future. Well, if that's the case, I'm just going to start coining my own. I think you should. It's yeah. it's the wild, wild west in gaming, dude. Like if, if you're creative and you throw something out there, you never know. I mean, you really don't. Like what's going to stick? You know? Yeah. Like who yeah. thought Euro game? Like yeah, that, that's not even like a sexy mm-hmm. name, right? It's just yeah. You know, it's from Europe. It's a game that's a Europe. Like what? It, uh, there's nothing awesome about that. Like there's nothing like cool or yep. hipster. It's like Europe's been around for forever. <laughs> you know. As and a promotional like, disclaimer for all of our European listeners, we'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. 
when I come on, we're just going to have a long disclaimer. Long I disclaimer. As a guest. That's good. But then, like, well, Era Thrash, right? Like, that's a new right. term that's coming out. And and a year ago, when I went to Geekway, everyone was talking about Ameritrash. Yep. And and now I'm not allowed to say that word. Well, you you want to know why? I, I, can, I actually know the, the etymology of that. Tell us. Tom Vassell thought it was awful that you would call games Ameritrash because the only thing that distinguishes an Ameritrash game from a Euro game is that the Euro game is all about the strategy of play, whereas the American games, by and large, were all about theme. Mm-hmm. And he goes, they're not bad games. They're just theme-heavy. So he starts saying, well, we have to have a, a word that distinguishes them, but I don't want to call it trash. So he, he didn't want to, so he started calling it Amerithrash, and suddenly that became the word. That's just how it is. So, you know, Jeff, whatever you want to call these things that are, you know, massive conglomerates of area control, social deduction with deck building elements of empire war strategy, turn based. For shoojury, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, man, just throw something out there. It may stick. And then, oh, then yeah. there are de- there are designers out there that say, just forget this. There is a game that's coming out in the near future called 504. And why it's called 504 is because it's it's 504 games in the box. Wow. The reason they do that is because it's all different modules. And the, apparently, I haven't seen it yet. I know nothing about this other than what I've heard. Um, I hope that you know they're going to have a demoable version at Gen Con because I want to try it. Um, supposedly what it is is different modules based on the tropes of board gaming, like area control, uh, finance, like uh, all this different stuff. And all you do is you mix together like three of these modules, and it makes a completely different game. Wow. Ooh, Lego. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. So so even when you come up with the trope, suddenly somebody goes, all right, I'm just going to throw this into a pot and call it... I'm going to break it. Yeah. I'm going to break it. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah, the, awesome. board gaming is full of, of craziness and awesomeness. Coming from your various little mini camps within gaming how do you, how do you think that from your experience in what you're what you've been doing and what you're good at as it were is how do you think that influences what how you view board games because that 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 just kind of as a guy who tries to do I, i'm i'm the jack of all trades master of none i'm a little bit of everything right so if coming from this this more focused uh background how do you think that in, that affects the way you view board gaming? Mm, that's a good one. Um, I'd, I'd say for me, it would be the kind of what I was talking about before, the the whole narrative pillar that I've been kind of clinging to lately when it comes to role-playing games. Um, I like to I like to be involved with games with a lot of narrative. Um, and that actually even extends to video games. I know you've mentioned this before. But like when you like for instance Skyrim, you know I started playing that again, and I just started building a backstory for a character that I'm playing on the game, to where it helps me govern the decisions that I make there. So, I mean, yeah, I, that kind of extends to a lot of things within the kind of games that I'd like to choose would be narrative, and lacking that, I guess, maybe realism, I guess, so that probably is why I would be drawn to something like one of GMT's games, 
I mean, it, this one that you're mentioning, Jacob, sounds really awesome. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I mean, that may steer me away from Fire in the Lake. I may actually go and check that one out. Like, like check it out. Um, you know, check out what I posted. We're we're coming out with a review of it here this week. I'm I'm working on compiling all the pictures and then doing a review this week. So, you know, stay tuned for that. But it, like, if you look it up and and you're looking for like a YouTube like let's play of it. There is an opening video, an unboxing, and then a, a playthrough video of it, and it's just like ten minutes of the sit down and shut up guys, just like you're like, what? What is this? This is overwhelming! Oh my <laughs> gosh! Um, and 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 it is, but it's an incredibly rewarding experience if you can get six people together uh, and commit yeah. to it. It's it's a great game. I you know I can't speak highly enough. You know, just of here I stand. It to me, it. You know, getting back to the original question, like what what draws me? I think when I'm drawn to something, there's just a couple of really practical logistical factors, right, that draw me to something. One of those factors is, all right, is this game accessible? Right. Whenever we're we're playing a game, um, whether that's video game or board game, uh, is this a game that other people want to play? We're we're playing these games for missional purposes to reach people, to engage with people, to build relationships. So if we're playing a game. For instance, uh, a single solo player, single solo player game. You know that's great. We may need to do that to review a game or to review some content, or because someone's asked us, "Hey, what do you think about this game?" But to me, most of my gaming time is spent in a multiplayer environment. Um, so that that may sound silly. We may all be taking that for granted, but I'm just going to name that right off the bat that that's a logistical thing. If people don't want to play a game, then I I can't myself force others to jump in to something that they don't want to play. That that defeats the whole purpose of meeting someone where they're at, doing something they want to do, and then building relationship with them through the medium of board gaming, video gaming. So for me, it's got to be accessible. Uh, and then the second thing uh, that really draws me into a game, personally, uh, is that there's progress. That there's mm. actually mm. seeable progress. My favorite chore to do is taking out the trash. Uh, I'll just use that as an example because it's tangible. It's so tangible, right? If if you don't take out the trash, the whole house knows you haven't taken out the trash, right? Yeah. The people in the house, the rooms in the house, everybody knows you haven't taken out the trash. When you do take out the trash, the whole house looks different. The whole house smells different. It's tangible. So for me, a game, it's got to have tangible progress where I can go, you know what? I did something today. Or you know what? This session, we went from here to hear there were goals that were set and maybe we didn't meet them but we're on our way that to me is a huge huge draw for me which is probably one of the reasons why I love social deduction so much because it always throws me for a loop <laughs> I would be curious there's there's a handful of games uh, if you love social deduction there's actually a handful of, of more board related board games that kind of do that um, particularly uh, I, I will say the one that got me into this um, there's a couple that have come beforehand, but the one that I got into was Letters from Whitechapel, which is mm. basically it's 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 a it's a one versus many game where one guy is playing Jack the Ripper, who's like making notes as to where he's traveling, and the other four, other up to four or five, I can't remember the exact player count, but are trying to find him before he does all his grisly awfulness. Uh, the other one that I, I, I love, it's actually sitting right behind me over here. I can actually, for those, you know, 
you guys won't appreciate this at home, but these guys are on video. Uh, I have my copy of Spectre Ops right here. Mm. And get, uh, that out, get that out of my face. Get it out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, Spectre Ops is an amazing game where one person is playing an agent trying to go into this uh, corporate, and especially because you've been playing Shadowrun a lot, Jeff. I'm telling you, you, you need Don't. to play Spectre Ops. Don't no. I was almost was thinking Netrunner, but then I switched to Doomtown just in case. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. Uh, Spectre Ops, you're playing the agent who is. I, you have this pad of paper, and you're writing down wherever you're everywhere you're going as you're trying to get all these objectives. As agents are trying to hunt you down, so you're never on the board unless they find you. Mm. Yeah. The, uh, the goal of the other players is to figure out where you are. Right. And so they're guessing, based on the clues that they've picked up, where you are on the board at any given time. It's a really, really neat thing, especially because it gives you that option of, of you know, messing with people. Like, social deduction games do that, where you're trying to, like, mess with people. Like, oh, you know, I'm not going to tip off that I'm here, or, oh, I'm going to make so-and-so look like they're the bad guy. Well, in this game, you can like look at the, a part of the board where you're not at and go, no, 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 you know, where are you guys standing again? You totally know, but you're just gonna <laughs> ask questions and mess with their head. Nice. But yeah, no, those, I, I, you mentioned two room, uh, two rooms in a boom, man. That is, that is both the most intriguing game that I've ever wanted to play and the most frustrating because I kickstarted two rooms in a boom. Mm. Right. And anybody who did kickstart two rooms in a boom knows that that game was supposed to have been delivered like a year and a half ago yep <laughs> and we're still waiting yep so. it's just cards guys come on hello yeah, yeah. Kidding, we I, I, at a bachelor party i was i was recently at we actually played two rooms in a boom but with printed copies yep and mm-hmm. it it was amazing like as an experience you know it was it was different from traditional um, hey, we're all going to sit around a table, right? It's it's very uh, tactile. You got to get up and move around. Um, and and one of the things that I love so much about social deduction games, again, that draws me in the level of accessibility, is it also makes uh, small talk and the awkwardness of getting to know someone very convenient with inside the game. It makes it a yeah. game mechanic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And 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 so for a lot of folks who maybe are. Um, not as willing to open up or just not as interested in meeting new people. You know, that, that there's nothing wrong with that. But a game can bring together people who haven't beforehand been a part of a gaming group together or part of a gaming family, and it can open up the door. It can open up with conversations like, hey, are you the spy? And it's just like, wow, you already know that person's an incredibly forward person. They just are, you know? Yeah, <laughs> That's a really bold statement that you're making there. Why would you think I'm the spy? Are you the spy? I think you're the spy, right? So it <laughs> it, it it causes all of these really really complicated interpersonal dynamics to happen in a fun, interesting, and okay way because it's all happening within inside the bounds of a game. Yeah, I, yeah. I I I've played. I haven't played it myself, but I, I've I've had the print and play. I I know what the game is about, which is why I jumped in on the Kickstarter. And the one that always intrigues me is Team Zombie. I don't know. I don't know if you played with Team Zombie, but that one, that that card intrigues me because basically, uh, to not go into the whole thing about two rooms and a boom, because I know we'll be talking about it once I actually get it in my grubby little hands. 
but uh, what happens is you basically have to reveal portions of your card to other players if they ask. And uh, if you reveal that, you, if you reveal I'm on Team Zombie, that person becomes part of Team Zombie. And the goal of the zombie team then is to make sure that everyone is a member of Team Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> so, and yeah, I there are so many little weird ins and outs of that game, and I absolutely love it. I I want to play like every big convention has a, a at least one game of Two Rooms and a Boom playing, and there's a reason for that. I can't mm. wait for the first time I'm at like a retreat or something, and I bust that out because that's going to be hilarious. <laughs> that that was actually the first thing that came to mind when I read about that game was like, oh my gosh, the next men's retreat, this would be oh. perfect because we'll be sitting around just playing, you know, cards or whatever. And we've we've played some other like, you know, uh, one-off games here and there, but there'll be like 10, 12 people around a table. And it's like, this would be perfect. This would be perfect. So, yeah. So there is one thing, uh, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, getting it, uh, into the, the quote-unquote real world, as it were. Um, board games, the big thing right now is that board games are introducing a lot of digital aspects mm-hmm. with games like uh, Alchemists and the one that I have is XCOM, and, uh, which requ- don't, don't even like have app assistance. It's app required in order to play right. this board game. Um, kind of... I'm realizing that board gamers have some kind of animosity towards the technology, and I, I won't say it's animosity, but they, I've, I've noticed that, that video game folks, while there is overlap, obviously, there is a little bit of, of almost a stigma, like, oh, you're playing board games, isn't that cute? Yep. So, <laughs> like, Jacob, as you're kind of smack dab in the middle of this now, as you're trying to figure out where the, what the overlap looks like for you, like, how, what, what, how does that tension kind of feel right now? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say the, the biggest piece of the tension for me personally is just how I interact in the two spheres. It's, you know, I, I can't stress that enough. Human communication face-to-face is different than human communication that's mediated through any form of technology, whether that's, I mean, we're... we're we're talking about you could be writing somebody a note in class that's right. sitting next to you. You're still face to face, but it's now mediated communication because you've written something. Um, right. To me, that is that is by far the biggest difference um, with the way how people interact when they're playing games. Um, now, from a from a games themselves perspective, I think that there are. Uh, I, I like the way how you said it earlier, Jeff. There, there are almost denominational differences. Like everyone mm-hmm. can agree, games are awesome. Sure. Right? Everyone um, that's with inside Christendom can agree, Jesus is awesome. Right. But then once you go from there, that's where people start having schisms and splits. And yeah. the same is true in gaming. I mean, there there are probably no two greater. Um, enemies with inside the spheres that I run in than people who play League of Legends, which is a, a, a MOBA game, and people who play Dota. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is another... Uh, they're, they're both in the same genre. They're both multiplayer online battle arena games. But these two people groups that have the same skill set, the exact same skill set, they, they just cannot get along. 
Uh, and it's really rare to find complementarian approaches um, oh, from, well, from players in those two systems. You say that. You say that. But I'll tell you what. If anybody out there is listening and they're a, a league player or a Dota player, they will argue immediately that they're not the same skill sets. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And that's... That's right there. That's the crux of the issue, right? Because Dota mm-hmm. people, I've, I've played both. We've played both inside G3 uh, for work and, and for ministry. And to me, I'm coming at it from four years of experience playing League before I ever played Dota. And I look at the Dota guys and I just go, man, you guys are demigods. Like, <laughs> like I'm getting old and I can still play League. And then there's Heroes of the Storm, which is like, hey, that's like the old man's MOBA. You don't have to last hit. There's no items. You can just go in there and team fight. And if you just mash your buttons and, and you you know how to team fight, you're okay. Whereas League is like a little bit of a step up from that. You got to last hit. You got to know how your build yep. goes. And then Dota is like, dude, y- you have to have 150 clicks per minute and um, or, or clicks per second. And yeah. if, if if you just mess up one of those clicks, then literally the, the, the pixels, how your character turns. Characters turn in Dota. Yes. Like they actually turn with your mouse click, which means when you're moving to the east, you can't just click west and your character will turn around. They actually have to turn their bodies and rotate around. League of Legends, Heroes of the Storm, dude, that, like it's just magic. People instantly turn around. I mean, that's what I do when I'm walking on the street. I instantly turn around. Don't you guys? I mean, that's... <laughs> that's just how that, uh, that On the west coast, we don't. I, it's, it's different. <laughs> it's different here. You so know. you guys are more like Dota. You guys are just more skilled than we are here in the Central yeah. Times. That's awesome. And that I mean, we're just we're just busy looking at the blue sky and stuff. Man, that's about <laughs> that's it. right. Those those distinctions they may seem just like you said, Mike. They may seem like their their personal preferences, right? Somebody on the outside looking at a people group like this just goes, "Those are personal preferences, and those are silly. Why are you guys um, fighting over these silly things?" But really, when you're involved in the culture, then you see these aren't small issues. These are major character-defining pieces of who these people are. Mm -hmm. And to me, for board gamers and video gamers, you're you're absolutely right, Mike. Like, there are folks here in St. Louis who are, like, getting hives and are getting worried (laughs) whenever I say, look, 2017 through 2020, that's when we're going to start to see board games that are fully digital. That right. are just completely digital, and and the board gamers. We just had we just had a playthrough with Here I Stand, and I I, met, I brought this up to the six guys that were here, and they all said I wouldn't play it if Here I Stand was a digital game that we all played sitting around a table doing the same stuff, but everything was digital, not cardboard. Each and every last one of those guys said they wouldn't play it. So there's definitely yeah. division. Uh, on that issue. Now, what I've actually found more of is I've found more video gamers who play board games than board gamers who play video games. I've found more people Uh that I'm sitting across the table from and saying, so what do you like to play in your free time? Do you play any video games? Do you play any of these? And then I'll list maybe two or three of the top played games. And typically, if someone does play a game, they won't necessarily say, yes, I play one of those top played games, but they'll at least acknowledge it's safe to talk about gaming with this person. Uh, but the board gamers, nice. more often than not, are like, dude, I, I don't have time to play Assassin's Creed because we just got Caverna, and you can play that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's kind of the distinction, whereas I'll be having a conversation with someone online. For instance, I this is why I found one of the benefits of tweeting that picture of Here I Stand. I got more feedback about playing that game of Here I Stand and more interactions about that than mm-hmm. I did about... 
posting games that the guys that I'm playing with and working with and ministering to, when I'm playing a game with them, right. that they enjoy, <laughs> that's a video game. Uh, more people are interested, intrigued, and going, hey, what's this, what's this face-to-face interaction? Tell me what this game is like. So there's, there's a curiosity yeah. there, there's an intrigue, and there's a desire there. Yeah. I, I think one of the most interesting conversations I've had so far about this kind of shift in what I'm doing, um, one of my buddies who's doing, uh, he's on this uh, Shadowrun game that we're playing. It's Like I said, we're kind of rehashing our childhood. That's the first game I played, so we actually went back to first edition and all that stuff and just kind of playing it old school. But uh, one of the first things he said after... Uh, board games. He's like, well, what kind of games are you looking at? And I, you know, I told him, kind of like what I was telling you guys, another category I was looking at, it was cooperative games. They kind of work, you know, playing against the game type thing. And his first question, coming from a video game background, was well, who's playing the enemy? How, how does that work? Who's, who, who do you fight against? You're just fighting against the board? What is the board going to do? I'm like, oh, let me get this. <laughs> the mechanics of the game. He's like, but there's no programming, right? I mean, is there... And the, uh, literally the word, the came, phrase that came out of his, or question came out of his mouth was, is there an app? <laughs> I was like, oh, no, it's, it's just kind of... Let me show you XCOM and how that app will destroy your life. <laughs> yes, yes. I was like, I didn't want to even mention XCOM because of the app situation, but yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Well, then, I mean, you can even go completely without an app and talk about how Pandemic will destroy your life. Yes, that's <laughs> an example I wanted to bring up. I didn't think of that game. I should have. That would have been perfect. Yeah, I, I've i played... I've easily... I mean, I've, I've tried... My, my gaming tableau back here is, is wide and varied, but I've played Pandemic, like, dozens of times, if not hundreds of times, I can count the number of times I've successfully played Pandemic <laughs> on one hand. But that's the that's the the crux of the matter, though, isn't it? I mean, it's like thinking there is a game out there that is your unicorn. It is, you know, your whatever. It's I'm chasing it. I'm chasing it. I'm chasing. It, I'm chasing. It, I'm going to win. You say right? that we meant we mentioned it on one of the the last podcast episodes. Um, the first time we sat down to play XCOM. We play the tutorial and we're like, okay, let's let's stop the tutorial. We know what we're doing. Let's just go right. back and start a legit game. So we started playing the legit game. All right, let's do this. And we got destroyed. Not only did we get beat, we it was literally as if the aliens had come and physically removed us from the planet. Like there was no sign <laughs> of humanity left. That's how poorly that went. And uh, <laughs> At the same point, every one of us said, I, I, I want back. And then, yeah. uh, I can't remember if I was the first person to say it, but I definitely know that whoever said it first, whether it was me or one of the other guys, we all chimed in in agreement. We're like, this is our Everest. We yeah. will conquer it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's there's like, there's, you know, this is, nostalgic is, is, is a part of it. Um, nostalgia. Uh, when you when you get together, you create an environment, you create a group of people that have tried something, and they failed at it. Right. Right. In in oftentimes in at least in online games, because it's so easy to cease your interaction with someone or to just end whatever it is that you are doing with someone to end a relationship. I mean, the the little red X button. I say that wherever I go. The little red X button is always there in yeah. online interactions. Um, it, it's an ever-present reality. When you're face-to-face with somebody, 
it's a high-risk scenario in comparison to the little red X button. And so when things go poorly in an online environment, a lot of folks just go, eh, I'll find new people. It's, it's right. way easier for me to find new people than change these people or to change me. But in a face-to-face -face environment via the table, when you're sitting across the table from someone and you fail, you all go, that sucked, and we want to make the board feel the way we feel right now. <laughs> it's, it's a galvanizer. You now have a common enemy that you can go yeah. against. Yeah. And that's it, it's it's so inspiring, you know. It really is, and mm -hmm. it it's it's sad to walk away from a from a session and go, a bunch of cardboard just handed us, <laughs> and there's nothing we could do about it. That that's that right. yeti that spawned because that card was drawn on turn six, we just didn't have the resources to deal with it, and that killed us for the next four turns. We we mentioned we mentioned pandemic, man. There's a there's a point in almost every pandemic game I've played where you start doing the mental math. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you go, oh, we cured this disease and this disease, but we got the two left. And all of a sudden you start looking and you go, there are four cards left in the deck. <laughs> there, is no, there is no way it is physically possible for us to win with four cards left in the deck. But do you quit or do you play to the end of the rounds? No, you play, that, you play it through. You make it happen. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But then the last four turns, you start going, ah, this, 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 whatever. <laughs> There's no crying in baseball. There's right. no crying That's in right. board games. That's right. Yeah. Well, no, all right, guys. Tell, tell, that, tell that to my tear-stained Axis and Allies board. <laughs> I, I think, I think at some point, if we ever, if we ever want, you know, if we come to the point where Inroads is like, you know what, we're just going to kill it. We're going to kill Inroads. It's not working. We're just going to kill it. I know how we'll do it. We'll start up a game with the with the four members of the board, and we'll play a game of diplomacy. <laughs> Ooh. Oh boy! Okay. We, we will kill the ministry with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I want to thank you guys. We're, I want to kind of start wrapping up here. You let you guys get back to your your lovely wives and your lovely families, and uh, basically just say thank you guys for coming. I would say Jeff, you know, how can people get in touch with you? But it's it's through us. Your, yeah. All your all your contact stuff is through us. That's so right. you, you know, inroadsministries.com. His his smiling face is on our Meet the Inroads team page. You are on Facebook now. You are a proud member of the tavern. You're a new regular. It's Woo! crazy, and you get that weird Facebook itch where oh man, I should post this. Like I get to the movie theater. Oh, I want to take a picture of this. Oh, we're late. We came in the middle of the previews. I'm like, I can't tweet a picture now. It was <laughs> or, it uh, was hilarious. I remember so. talking when you first got on there, and I go, I go, yep, he's on that. The dam has broken. Yeah. <laughs> because for the longest time, you were holding it back, holding it back, holding it back. I'm not getting on Facebook, and then you got in, and yeah. it was just. Fifteen posts from Jeff Romo. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. But uh, yeah, trust me, I'm not that important. It's just fun. But however, our our lovely guest here, Jacob, there are many ways that people can get in touch with you that they might not know about. So how about you share that with the people? Yeah. So a couple ways uh, to get in touch with us. Uh, one is to visit our website, gospelandgaming.org. Uh, that's where you can find all of our reviews, all the stuff that we're talking about. It's really our ministry blog. That's uh, really where we go to put updates and to talk about what we're thinking about, what we're doing, uh, and to let folks who are praying and supporting uh, and just interested in our ministry, let them know what's going on uh, on a weekly basis. 
Other than that, you can get a hold of me through email, which is gospelandgaming at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Facebook. I'll be Jacob Tillman. My Facebook profile picture changes almost on a daily basis. Uh, so don't look for a picture. Just look for the Jacob Tillman that's in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, you should be able to find me through there. Jacob is also a member of the Tavern, so that's what I'm going to put in a little pitch that says maybe you should join the Tavern. Oh, totally. <laughs> if you're out there and you're listening and you want to know more about board games, look, I'm a gaming missionary and I'm a member of the Tavern to learn about board games. This is where I go to learn. So if you want to know more about board games, the Tavern is where it's at. Yeah. And I will say one of the coolest things is when I, on, you know, just to kind of preempt this, kind of get people psyched about having you guys on doing this bonus content, um, I just threw up there, I go, these guys are new to board gaming, that's what we're going to be talking about. What's your favorite games that these guys should try? These guys are gamers, so don't even feel limited to gateway games. What is it now? Like seven or eight different comments from other from other regulars, yeah. each one with like five different recommendations. <laughs> I know. I made the mistake of saying keep them coming, and then boy did they. <laughs> boy oh did they. But no, thanks a lot. It's it's a long and expensive list, but I'll figure out a way. <laughs> That's right. That's the right. Best, the best advice I will tell you is if, you know, uh, Jacob, you actually have a con, like, right in your backyard. So yes. that's, that gives you access to a whole bunch of stuff. In fact, I know a lot of designers and board game media types who will be at Geekway to the West, so you should check them out. But if for those of us who aren't fortunate enough to have a con in our backyard, uh, I will put in my pitch for go to the game store. Go and hang out. On, on, there's at least, I know for a fact that game stores will have at least one night. Now, some of them are going to have, like, Magic Night and Yu-Gi-Oh! Night and Pokemon Night and all that, but there's at least one night where they will bust out all the board games and stuff, and highly recommend that, because uh, I, right now, based on my schedule, I can't, I have to create my own gaming groups because I can't get to the store, mm. but yeah, I, I will say that that is the best way because that way you're not responsible for buying a truckload of games. <laughs> you don't have to, in fact, buy any of them unless you know you want to because right. what's going to happen is, is that you show up and people will be bringing their games to play. And so that way you get the experience of playing and trying them out. And then if you like them, then you can get them. You do yeah. not have to because... As much as I love this hobby and as much as I want to get as many people into it as possible, I acknowledge the fact that it's hard to drop, you know, some of the bigger games are like $100 mm -hmm. on a game you've never played before. That is a yeah. terrifying idea. <laughs> so, but, but, yeah, I will throw in that pitch to kind of wrap up my, my portion here and say that game stores need to still happen because, if nothing else, we need to be able to play these games and put them in people's hands. But I will put away that soapbox. We will end this episode. Again, guys, thank you so much. This has been a ton of fun, and I'm super glad that you guys could come out. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Love everybody at the tavern. All right, and cut. And cut.